Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Park for Podcast interview. Before we get started, just a reminder to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, on parkreport.com. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for special episodes. Keep up to date on everything. We also have live stream episodes on our YouTube channel on most Saturdays, so follow us on our socials for updates on that. Our guest today is drummer Nick Collins, son of legendary uh, singer and drummer from Genesis, Phil Collins. They just concluded the final shows of the last Domino Tour, and Nick just released a brand new single with his other group, Better Strangers. We had a chance to catch up with Nick after the last shows of the Genesis Tour. Please check it out. What's up, man? Hey, how's it going? Good. Great to meet you. Good, thank you. Nice to meet you. You too, man. So, hey, are you down in Miami? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Prague capital of the world, South Florida. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> so how long have you been living down here? I mean, is that your whole life pretty much? or No, I mean, I moved uh, down to Miami when I was like 11, uh, something like that. Yeah, I moved from Switzerland, which was a big change. Go from right. like pretty much like a bubble um, to just like, I don't know, just the furthest thing from a bubble here in Miami, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, no, it was interesting. But no, I've been here for a while now. That's that's great. Uh, yeah, can't beat the weather, right? Um, so, uh, well, let me introduce. Uh, well, I'll introduce you first. Um, great interview here. A special guest, uh, Nick Collins, who uh, everybody knows uh, in the news recently from playing with Genesis, of course. But he's got his own project as well, Better Strangers, and um, we're going to talk about that, his history and everything. And Nick, I want to introduce you to uh, Jeff Bailey, who's my uh, partner in crime here. Hey, Hi, Jeff. Jeff. Hi, Nick. I'm, I'm in Belfast in Northern Ireland, and I was just showing Roy before we, 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 we uh, came on the podcast there. That's, that's my ticket to the, Ge- the Genesis show that never happened. <laughs> oh, God. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so, yeah, well, we need to talk about this. We really brought you on for that. No, that's, that's why well, we set this up. I've been set up. I've been ambushed. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, I think, I think the, the, the Ireland dates got, got pulled probably because of the restrictions that were still in place over here unfortunately yeah i mean i know that at the well belfast i think was going to be like the first place we were going to play uh yeah. back in i think it would have been september, september of 2021 and um yeah it was like probably about three weeks four weeks before we were supposed to play there um management were like i remember being in rehearsal and saying like i don't think we could do this these belfast dates because they weren't you know something like you, you you'd be allowed like uh yeah a fraction of the capacity of you know how many tickets were sold and then at that point um you know the the last two legs of the tour we kind of just really barely got away with it you know (laughs) you know doing it so uh there are some places that i know you know the irish fans whether it was belfast or even dublin like they're very bummed out that we couldn't do it and even that other glasgow show but you know it's, it's just a shame that COVID changed everything. I mean, I said this recently um, where I was like, you know, who knows if it wasn't for COVID, we could have kept touring or, you know, not kept touring now, but I'm saying, you know, the tour would have started earlier and we could have played, you know, many more places that we hadn't done, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, luckily, I mean, totally. you came out of, uh, to the U.S. at a time where it just was starting to get better for those few weeks. You had a really good period. And I think right when you guys ended your U.S. run, that's when whatever Omicron came and just kicked yeah. everyone's ass. That, that was really lucky. It was weird because we started off and it was like, oh, this is great. You know, everything's back to normal. Nobody's wearing masks. And then I remember by the time we got to Boston, which was the last city, it was like we had played like Montreal and Toronto like two weeks before. And it was like 
they were shutting down. They weren't allowing live events. And like, I remember yeah. Tony Banks being like, did we do this? Like, was this us? <laughs> um, but yeah, we really kind of, by the time we finished Boston, it was like, oh my God, thank God we, we you know, we were able to get it done, you know, and, and finish the yeah. shows we were supposed to. You know what? I, I want to talk all about that tour and you working with them, the band and everything. But I want to, before we get into all that, it's sort of start at the beginning because I think a lot of people have heard your name and many saw you play on this tour, but aren't familiar with, you know, your background, how you got started. Uh, obviously, you know, Phil Collins being your dad and the drumming and everything. But I want to know more about what really got you into music outside of that. You know, I mean, what was were drums your first instrument? Like, how'd you get into it? Yeah, I mean, drums were definitely my first instrument. And it was kind of like by default of who my dad was. It was like. Uh, that was the instrument I was going to try first, you know. Um, but I have like my first kind of real memories that I have in general of life was uh, when my dad was doing his final farewell tour in 2004. And that, you know, I, I still to this day have like specific memories of certain songs and what the stage looked like. But that was just really just being able to see my dad go out and be on stage and obviously play drums. But that, at that point, it was mainly as a singer. Um you know, aside from the odd kind of drum solo and, and whatever. But so that definitely was kind of the first exposure I got to, you know, be like what it was like to be on stage. And, I, and so I instantly from there just kind of gravitated towards music and drumming, um, you know, from a young age, that's all I did uh, from like, you know, three years old. It was, you know, we, it's funny. It was, it was sweet. We, uh, a few months ago, probably a year ago now, I was with my dad and we were going through some like old, old footage and, you know, you know, footage of me getting my first real drum kit or, you know, footage of him giving me drum lessons, which I actually don't remember. And like pretty, it's, it's one of those things where previously when I've done interviews a few years ago, I always say like, yeah, my dad didn't give me lessons, but then I saw it. And I'm like, Oh, you did give me lessons. I just don't remember them. Like, um, but you know, it, 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 that was really how it kind of started. But at first, like as you know, for any kid, music and drumming, it was a hobby. Um, it was something that I enjoyed doing and I had fun playing along to uh, my dad's songs and the Genesis songs. That was really like my childhood was consisted of that. And, um, you know, when I saw the Genesis reunion tour in 2007, I, I saw a few shows off that. But it wasn't as like I didn't go to as many as I did on the his 2004 tour because I was just, a, you know, I was like a toddler then. So I didn't have school, so I could just go and do that. Um, and then when I moved to Miami, that's really when I kind of started taking it a bit more seriously and kind of finding my own way about the music I liked and, and the drummers I liked. I mean, I, a, few, a handful of like the first drum heroes I had were, were John Bonham. Um, you know, I remember my dad being like, you know, you have to listen to When the Levy Breaks. And that like changed my life when I heard that. <laughs> and funnily enough, um, Jason Bonham, like I, I've grown quite close to him, like, you know, for the past few years. And he told me that his dad told him to play to turn it on again back in like the, you know, back <laughs> in the kidding. early days. Wow. So I thought that was such a kind of funny full circle moment. But yeah, John Bonham was definitely my first and like Chad Smith from the Chili Peppers. Like that was, you know, the first kind of real two figureheads in my life as far as like, hmm. you know, uh, drumming goes. It's, it's funny. We were, I was th thinking about this in the run up to it and going, you know, you've got Jason Bonham, you've got Zach Starkey, Ringo's son, you've got Nicholas Collins was trying to go actually there aren't that many I couldn't think of any bass players whose sons were famous bass players or guitar players whose sons were famous guitar players yeah. I wonder why is that and I go well 
probably because the drum kits a drum kit is pretty much one of the most fun things that mm-hmm. a kid a kid could play with if it was in their house so aside from aspiring to be like their dad you know put any kid in front of a drum kit and they'll 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 entertain themselves for yeah, a long time. And finally, I think it's, you know, it's, it's so much fun. And also like, you know, you, you hit a drum set and no matter kind of what way you hit it, you're going to get a sound from it. Yeah. So it's like, whoa, I can do this. Whereas like guitar, like, you know, you, you can't just pick up a guitar and, and, and do everything, you know, that, and, and, and who wants to play bass? You know, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. There's one, there's one behind you there. Um, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but in terms, in terms of me, I mean, you said there, you know, you grew up listening to your, to your, um, hearing your dad and Genesis music, did, did you kind of forge your own path in terms of, you know, what, what was the first music you kind of discovered yourself? I mean, there was a bunch. I mean, I think when I was a kid, it was like, you know, when you're, especially the, it was kind of before streaming was really a thing. So it was just like whatever was on the radio, which was usually just kind of, you know, subpar pop music at the thing, you know, like in the late 2000s. Um, but then I think like the, you know, the bands that I really got into, like, you know, when my dad showed me John Bonham and, and, and when I really got into Chad Smith with, you know, like Led Zeppelin and the Chili Peppers. I mean, those are kind of like my, my first two bands that I really just had this obsession with. I mean, like Led Zeppelin, it was the music and it was just like, it just floored me, you know, how, you know, the drums to this day are like the best sounding drums I've ever heard in my life. And it was recorded like 50 years ago. And then with the Chili Peppers, it was like when I started getting into them and, and, you know, getting into their music, it was like, I wanted to be in a band now. It was different. It was like, they just kind of, they made it such a kind of, I don't know, this huge deal in my head about being in a band and having these people that you have a relationship with and uh, musically and, and just as friends as well. So I think those two, and then, and then obviously it's just developed over the years. I think, you know, being at, at first being into you know, kind of the more modern alternative music and, and pop rock music, but then that kind of slowly over the years has morphed, morphed into me getting into different genres, which I think in turn is kind of, kind of been the equivalent of my kind of practice, I guess. I've always said that like for, for drummers, one of the most important things you can do is just listen to like as much as you can and just take in as much as you can from different drummers because there's so much to learn and as soon as you think you kind of have it all figured out, like, you know, I, I think maybe I'll say two, two and a half years ago, I'm like, oh, this is, so I kind of know what kind of drummer I am. And then I listened to Tool and I was like, oh my God, this is completely <laughs> opened up a different side of what, you know, right. uh, or same thing goes for like, you know, Gavin Harrison with Porcupine Tree. So I think it's always like an evolving thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think at first, just by default, it was a lot of my dad's music and Genesis music when I was a kid. Um, and then I think it was just kind of me with my, with my friends, like finding different bands and artists and songs that we liked. And just also the early stages of being in a band is you're just doing covers. And I think that's also super important that that kind of teaches you the, the basics of songwriting and, and performing of just learning other people's songs. Cool. It's interesting. You mentioned when the levy breaks, I'm pretty sure this is a music nerd in me, but I'm pretty sure that the lamb lies down in broadway was recorded in the same place yeah it was i fanboyed over my dad when he told me that i was like no way dude you did that <laughs> well i was saying to someone the other day the the first place that stairway to heaven was played live before it came out an album was belfast 
Really? Yeah, I get, it was, well, I suppose like the Genesis tour was meant to be, it was the first show on the tour, so, and they were previewing stuff from the next album, so. Wow, that's so cool. I didn't well, know and also we, we just, we said that it was the first place Peter Gabriel uh, put on the fox head. Dublin, yeah, that's right. In Dublin, he, he put the fox, the fox head on and the red dress for the first yeah. time. Well, yeah. there you go. The oh, story yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's happened place Luke. Yeah, right. it's it's funny that because when we started this tour they i remember them bringing up like that story and and he never he didn't tell anybody else in the band he was going to do that right so they were just as much in shock as like you know the rest of the audience which i thought was great um you know and, and that was kind of such a great thing about being on the road with them it's just all these stories that you hear from like what feels like a different lifetime ago for them yeah. Right. That, that's got to be amazing. Um, but you did mention uh, listening to some of those bands wanted you to start your own. I guess that leads us to Better Strangers. But uh, that's your current project now. But were, did you have other bands before this one? I mean, is this sort of or uh, an evolving kind of thing with members getting to this point? Yeah, this is, yeah, it's kind of, I guess, a continuation of a bunch of different bands and projects I've been involved in. Um, me and the bass player Yannick Weingarten, we've been um, we've been best friends since like middle school or something like that. So um, yeah, seventh grade, and so we've kind of grown up together. And we started like you know a real band in, in our freshman year of high school, which um, we I would have been like thirteen, I think, and he would have been fourteen, fifteen. And uh, then our guitarist joined you know later that year joey rodriguez and so we've been in a bunch of bands together with like different singers and kind of playing different styles of music and it's just been it's been great because you know not only have we grown up as people in kind of you know pretty pretty you know our teenage years are pretty defining years in, in anybody's life so not only have we grown up as people together but grown up as musicians together which has been great and you know there's a, a musical chemistry that I was able to find with with these guys at a really early age which is great because yeah. you know you kind of understand each other and you you kind of push each other in different ways um and so we were in a band together uh and our we parted ways with our singer and we kind of found ourselves without a singer for a while and at this point we kind of knew what it was more like it wasn't like we knew what we wanted but we kind of knew what we didn't want we we, we kind of had a clear vision of like this is you know there's going to be the guy that's going to come up and that took ages i mean it took like about a year a year and a half and then COVID hit um so that really kind of put a halt to like stuff and uh it, you know we find we found ourselves writing and, and doing a bunch of stuff without a singer and, and that's probably like the worst thing you can do to a band because you start to overcompensate and it's like you know 70 guitar tracks and like stupid time signatures like <laughs> more solos just, yeah you're trying to do too much and then we finally uh we finally found uh ricky our singer who um reached out to us on social media and he's actually you know was actually based in texas and you know we we sent each other some demos kind of remotely and then when we met up with him, it was like, it was amazing. It was, you know, we hit it off pretty much immediately and kind of immediately knew this is, this is the guy. And um, yeah, so it's been a project that's been in the works for, for quite a while. And actually, funnily enough, today we put out a brand new single called Put Under Your Name, which came out this morning, which was, you know, very exciting for us. And we're lining it up with a bunch of kind of tour dates in, um, in the next few months and over the summer and the rest of the year. Very cool. Yeah. 
Sounds great. And do, is is the plan to make an album, or what? What's 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 the what's what's next after the tour dates for the band? Yeah, I mean, the material is definitely there to make a record, but I think for a young band that's that's up and coming, you you kind of have to take it easy, and you don't want to make a record too quick, um, especially in the you know the, the day and age of streaming where they've kind of devalued what what me, making a record means. Yeah. Um, so I think for now, you know, we, we, we're going to keep putting out singles and whether that leads to an album or whether that leads to, a, you know, several EPs, um, you know, that's kind of to be determined. But the tracks are there and we're just eager to kind of really get out there. I mean, you know, the, the last few years of my life have consisted of either touring with Genesis or touring with my dad's solo project. Um, so I've only kind of always been able to give a fraction of the time, you know, to, to my band, you know, maybe 50 percent. And so now to be able to kind of really give them a hundred percent and we can go full steam ahead is, is exciting. It's also a bit nerve wracking, but you know, that's what you have to do. We're, you know, we're grinding it out and cutting our teeth on the road, which is exciting. Were you ever, uh, is this one of those things where your, your dad or even the guys from Genesis just like this trying to jokingly discourage you? Like, don't, don't do a band. It's a terrible idea. <laughs> no, not really. I mean, my, my dad actually was always, he always encouraged me to make to be in a band and to make a band because um, he always says you learn more like that than being like a solo you know artist. I mean, I think I think at that point when he was giving me that speech, he kind of accepted defeat that I wanted to do music as well. You know, I, I wasn't gonna have a, a you know a regular job, I guess. But he he was always like super encouraging about you know you gotta find a band and you gotta play and you know write and you know over the years you know, he's always been supportive of, of stuff. And I think, but I also think he kind of, he looks at it on a, on a very mature kind of standpoint of like, you know, the first band I was in when I was 13 to me was like, this is the best thing ever that we're going to be the biggest band in the world. And you know, that wasn't the case. We were 13 year olds playing a bunch of covers. Um, and obviously as an adult and as a musician, he realized that, but I think it's just, you know, that those are the kind of steps you need to take to kind of find yourself in a project or, or a band where you're comfortable and, and you're confident in what you're doing and you're tight and everything. And so I think that him being there and kind of giving me those kind of pointers throughout the, you know, throughout the way has been great. Well, you talk, you talk about that, that journey from starting at, you know, 13 year old in a covers band, but pretty quickly you're playing in some of the biggest venues in the world um, with your dad. How was that? How was kind of that leap? Was it daunting? Was it? At first, it definitely was really. I mean, it, it, it was great that it kind of was done in a, a bit of a gradual process. I mean, the the first show I played with him was uh, a charity gig, um, yeah. which was still in a, in, a, in a theater, which, you know, had uh, probably a couple, maybe two, three thousand people, which was big, but it was kind of gradual, you know. And, that was and that then, thing down here in Miami, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay, I remember hearing yeah, that. It was, yeah. And it was filmed and stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we, we did that and we did it a few times. And then after that was the US Open thing, um, where we did two songs at, to, to open that up. And then after that, he, he asked me if, you know, if I would want to, you know, be play drums for him on, on the road, because he was thinking about going back on the road after, you know, all these years. And um, so definitely at first though, the, the, you know, initially being thrown into playing arenas was so nerve wracking. I remember that the first time I was like, oh my God, we're playing a, a real show now, you know, cause previously it had been like five, six songs, you know, it, it, everybody's kind of there to have a good time and it's a charity gig. But then you, when you're playing a real kind of headline gig, it's like, 
oh no, now the kind of pressure is on. So I think it definitely took me a bit to get used to at first, but um, you know, the guys in, in my dad's band were, were so welcoming and, and honestly they're, they're played such a big part in, you know, my, I guess my evolution as a musician, just to be able to play with those guys who are just ridiculous musicians, guys like Lee Sklar and, and, and Daryl Sturmer, Brad Cole. I mean, I could name the whole band yeah. pretty much like they're just, you know, amazing musicians. So that really helps and push me forward. And, 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 you know, pretty quickly, I got pretty comfortable with it. Um, I mean, I've always kind of said, weirdly enough, I get more nervous uh, and anxious for my own band's gigs that are at my, <laughs> you know, a, you know, fraction of the size of a venue, I guess. Um, because, because when I go, whether it was with my dad or, or with Genesis, you know, you, I, I was there to play the drums and I knew what my role was. And you're also kind of, you know, you know that people like these songs and if they paid to come see the show, they're going to like the songs. So it's just about how good you can deliver them. Whereas with your own band, it's like, you don't even know if anybody's going to turn up, you know what I mean? Right. It's like, so right. it's just, it, and, and, and you've got much more to prove because it's like, you know, you're trying to sure. show people that they should like you and, and, and stuff like that. Um, so it's definitely really different, but yeah, first it, it was, it was kind of a, a big leap for me. Um, but I think, oh, you know, as it got, and, and, and even from the progression of doing my dad's solo thing to the Genesis thing, I think it, it worked, you know, all worked really perfectly as to, you know, every kind of, I guess, building block to get to that kind of final stage. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember seeing one of the, the solo shows, one of the later ones, because by the time it got here, I think, because mostly it was Europe in the beginning for a while, right? Mm -hmm. Um Man, it was, a, it was an amazing gig. Honestly, the whole concert was, it, it was just tremendous. Well, it was one of the best concerts I've seen in, in the last many years. It was really, really oh, thank great. You. And, um, you know, obviously we're fans of his music, but I mean, it, you don't know what to expect with that kind of show. And it was just from the first note, amazing. And you were amazing. Um, thank but, you. You know, so you, you're doing those shows for a while. When did the Genesis reunion talk start? And were you thrust right into the middle of those talks? It was like, well, we, we need a drummer. It's got to be Nick, right? I mean, how did that go? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the first time I actually heard that they, they actually spoke about it was um, Mike Rutherford came to a gig in San Francisco. I think it would have been like 2018, late 2018. Um, and he came and then they had kind of a chat amongst themselves. And I remember my dad mentioning it saying like, Hey, like, you know, like what, what would you think about, you know, Genesis going back on the road and you being the drummer? And I was like, absolutely. Like I'm there, you know what I mean? I, it was just a no brainer. Um, and I remember that Tony Banks had seen the, um, one of the shows at the Albert Hall that we had done. So I think me being able to play the drums um, with my dad, I think, for him, it, it, it was kind of uh, a, a helping, you know, uh, I guess, you know, it was a significant factor in wanting to be able to go do it again. And then the fact that, you know, since my dad can't play drums anymore, the fact that I could do it to Mike and Tony was also a bit more convincing because the truth is like the, the instrumental part and the drumming is such a big part of Genesis that I don't think it would have made sense um, you know, if I wasn't going to do it just because like my dad playing drums was such a big deal to Genesis. And, yeah. and I think that's also kind of was ended up being reflected on, you know, the set that we did and, and how many instrumental pieces we could do, because, you know, you can't flood the set with that if, if my dad wasn't playing. 
But um, that was kind of the first time, late 2018 was the first time it was mentioned, but the first time it was seriously brought up was um, the following summer in 2019, because Mike and the mechanics were opening up the, um, my, my dad's tour. And I think it was like Berlin, uh, Mike came on stage and did follow you, follow me with us. Right. And that, you know, as soon as that happened, it was like the rumor mill just kind of went through the roof. And, <laughs> and, 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 and we hadn't even like spoken about it at the time, but I knew they were going to have a meeting at the end of that tour to talk about, you know, whatever business they had to talk about. And I knew that was going to be brought up. And surely enough, it did. And my dad asked me if I would want to do it. And I said, yeah, absolutely. And we did some rehearsals in January of 2020 um, in New York. And, and I remember, because it's funny, we, we, we thought it'd be kind of a fun night out if we went to go see like a, a New York Knicks basketball game. And, but, you know, and, and we had already, like we'd established that if anybody asked why we're all here, it's because we're here for a wedding or something. But then like at halftime on the Jumbotron, it was like, Genesis is in the building. And it was just like, well, there goes all sense yeah. of you know, subtlety and everything. But um, yeah, those were the first rehearsals, which to me were an audition. Um, I don't know if that was kind of what the guys had in mind. I think to them, it was just making sure they could sound good and play the songs. But to me, I definitely kind of felt like, okay, I've got to, you know, show that I can do this. Um, and then, yeah, it was, it was reestablished after that, that, well, they established that they wanted to do it and that it would sound great. And then COVID really just changed everything. Like two weeks after the, the, the tour was announced, which was kind of crazy. And, and I do seriously think that, you know, now it's been probably it's it's about to be three years since they decided they wanted to go on the road that's crazy and so i think at the time when it was decided everybody was just like so up for it and we probably would have done way more shows than we ended up doing but you know everything got delayed about a year a year and a half and at that point you're just kind of like well let's just do these shows because you know you're, in a, it, you're at this point it's, the pressure is more about doing them rather than being able to enjoy them you know yeah in term in terms of the shows um you know, can you tell us a bit about the process of putting that show together? I mean, obviously, it's a band that you know has existed for for more than fifty years, and you know, a very large chunk of that with just um, your dad and and Mike and Tony. Um, but obviously, with a with a a fan base that probably spans a whole lot of different eras and preferences, you know, how how did that all come together? Yeah, well, I, the, I think the initial like chats of like what would be in the set was just kind of an email thread between everybody. I mean, you know, between the three, you know, my dad, Mike and Tony, and then Daryl and I were included, just so we knew what to learn, you know. Right. <laughs> but um, I think at first, it was just a, like a massive list of songs. It was like, you know, each one of the guys had their, you know, their ideal set list. And um, you know, a lot of them kind of in favor of songs they wrote, you know what I mean, which was kind of funny. But, and, and it slowly kind of started getting cut down. I think the initial list that when we went into the first bit of rehearsals was really, sorry, was really long. Um, and, you know, it took a lot of kind of, it took, took a while to learn everything that, you know, was required. Um, and then from the songs we did that first time, you know, we cut it from there. And then it even got cut from the, you know, we went to production rehearsals and I remember Jesus, he knows me and hold on my heart were in the set right. with, with production. You know, there was like, we were doing it on the stage as well. Um, and then I think when it was, when it got past the point of rehearsing where, you know, you, you can kind of take a break if you, you know, a five minute tea break or something, or, you know, have lunch. I think when you actually had to do it every single day, it got really long. 
And I think the guys just kind of opted to kind of cut those as well. But it was, I mean, it, it was, it was a real process of trying to figure out, for example, how much, you know, how you could balance the instrumental side of things with, you know, um, everything else and what areas you had to cover. I mean, like you said, it's, it's a band that spans over so many different genres, first of all, of, you know, like there's the real kind of Peter Gabriel progressive era, which is like the real hardcore prog. And then it got into like when my dad took off and it took over and it was still very proggy. And then it got a bit more rock and then got a bit more poppy. And so from each one of those eras, there's only so much you can pick, you know, and they have so many songs and so many records that, I mean, it's the kind of thing when we did the last three shows at the O2, we could have done three different sets, you know what I mean? Sure. And not have to, you know, repeat a song. But, you know, the truth is, is, is bands evolve and they have to kind of represent all different aspects of their sound. But I do think that the set we ended up coming up with was, you know, was, was very pleasing to all kind of different fans um, of, of all the different eras. Absolutely. I, and and the, quest, the question that I have to ask, given that we are the Prog Report and there's a lot of people, people of a certain age and type who probably um, follow our stuff, did, did you ever try or play any or all of Supper's Ready? No, well, it, it, Supper's Ready was mentioned in that first initial list and it was, it was going to be Apocalypse in 9-8 onwards. Um, and I learned it and, and I, and I made it a mission to learn it because they mentioned it. And my dad like was like, Oh, I think we're going to do this part. And Tony was quite keen on doing it. Um, it took me ages and I, you know, lots of broken drum heads and, and whatnot of, of just being, just, just being so angry at not being able to get it. But I finally did. And, and, and it was just, we never rehearsed it. And that was kind of a, a real bummer. Cause I was like, Oh man, I just totally like I was just trying not to be like super upset about it. I was like, oh, de definitely did not spend the last three months trying to learn this song. But yeah, you, you, know, you can slip it into a better stranger set, and that would probably keep people happy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure it would fit in with the rest of the music, but yeah. right. Um, but no, I mean, you know, I wish we would have done that song. I mean, there's a ton of ton of songs that I wish we could have done, and I sure. know some of the guys wish they could have done. But the truth is, is you know, you can only really play two and a half hours two two uh, two hours and 45 minutes a night and with, with the amount of songs they had you know it was tricky coming up with a set um and obviously the instrumental kind of thing was was also of, of the best bits and you know we ended up doing cinema show and yeah. firth of fifth as the kind of really uh, you know uh, behind the lines as the kind of big instrumental bits home by the sea I, um, as well and so i think from you know cinema show and firth of fifth being from that era um yeah you know, there was only so much you could kind of do. Sure. Um, but yeah, I wish we would have done Supper's Ready. Uh, one of my favorite, uh, like Genesis medleys ever is um, one of the ones that's on YouTube of In the Cage, uh, In That Quieter, then Supper's Ready, which I, is right. just amazing. And I wish, I wish we would have done In the Cage as well, but you know, there's only so much. And I think also for the guys like they've done In the Cage, like pretty much every tour for, you know, right. ever since yeah. it was written. Um, so I get that also for them switching it up and, and doing something new. Um, and then like I, Los Andos was another one that, that I learned, but we never rehearsed just because it was another one of those, you know, trying to cut the fat and uh, there being a lot of, a lot of instrumental stuff. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think going in, there has to be a certain amount of, uh, well, they have a lot of hits. So, I mean, putting that set list together, you already know going in, these are the, 10 12 whatever number we have to do under any circumstance right invisible touch uh follow mm -hmm. you follow me whatever 
So that already limits how much playing there is with the set. Maybe, maybe there was like three to five songs that you were that you could balance what you could maybe throw in, right? So mm -hmm. it doesn't leave a lot of room. Yeah, I, I mean, it's funny you mentioned because even from like the get go, like the initial email, like Tony said, he goes, "All right, before we talk about songs, we know we're gonna have to do these." And right. it was like, you know, like you said, "Invisible Touch," "Mama," "Turn It On Again," you know, "Home by the Sea." Um, all those kind of classics that they'd always done, um, you know, and, and, and I think by, you know, when they did their 2007 tour, that was a pretty dialed in set list and covered, you know, a lot of, of that. So I think it was kind of, this was a bit, the set wise was kind of a continuation of that while kind of switching it up a bit. And, um, you know, we did Duchess, which, you know, they hadn't done in, in, in years. So that was kind of a really cool one to throw in there. Um, uh, yeah, and, and a few other new ones that we haven't done. Um, but yeah, I think that is true. There's definitely, you kind of, it limits you as to how much you can kind of throw in there. Um, I, I mean, we threw in Misunderstanding for like two shows in Chicago. Well, I want to ask you about that, actually. What, what was the decision there to put it in for those two shows and then decide to take it out? Well, I think Mike and Tony always mentioned that it was a big hit in America, more so than in the UK and, mm -hmm. and Europe. So since we were doing America, uh, they, we, you know, we thought we'd do it and everybody was kind of cool with it. And then we did it twice. And then after we did it for the first two shows in Chicago, I just remember my dad being on the plane. We were like, I don't think I want to play that song again. You know, like I think it was just, <laughs> I think for them, you know, it's, it's, it's a good song and it was a hit for them, but I think they got a bit more value out of it musically and artistically uh, with Duchess, for example, which, you know, and also visually, I think it did a bit more to the set. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, I'm glad we did it. And that's kind of the real, the only real change to the set from the get go. I mean, the, the, the thing is, when, when I'm asked about, you know, why, you know, why did the set kind of switch up from night, you know, night to night or, or you know, different legs. Uh, it's just because, of, you know, when, when you get it so dialed in and, and especially with a, a show like a Genesis show where the lights and the production are such a big part of it, you know, you can't just kind of throw in certain things because a lot of the cues are based around certain songs. And I think by the end of it, it, it they, we found a real kind of sweet spot of like every song, whether it was musical, musical or, or production wise, it did its own thing. You know, every track um, was its own kind of, I guess, spectacle in the set where there wasn't kind of one song that just kind of, you know, just kind yeah. of happened. And yeah. I think, yeah. so the guy's misunderstanding yeah. just kind of started and ended and it was fine. You know what I mean? We, they were right. playing it, but as opposed to some of uh, some of the other songs. Yeah. So, so I have to ask what, what was your two parter? What was your most challenging part of the set? And what was, what was your favorite part? What was the part that you always look forward to most? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, obviously, as far as learning the songs that, that weren't in the set, obviously, we spoke about Supper's Ready and Los Angeles. Those were easily the, the, the most challenging songs I had to learn, but obviously, we never ended up doing it. I think um, the most fun I had, and, and honestly, one of my favorite Genesis bits is, is the is cinema show. And I, I've always loved that part. I mean, even as a kid, I have memories of me playing along to the In the Cage medley with cinema show in it. And so, but I remember it was just called the In the Cage Medley. And I was always like, what is the name of this song? Like, I, you know, I, I never knew it was Cinema Show. But um, that was easily, you know, probably my, my, one of my favorite parts of the set. I, I loved playing it. And, you know, 7-8 is such a fun kind of time signature to play. And that song just kind of, 
I remember my dad saying it's it's how many grooves can you play on a seven eight kind of time signature because it it changes the whole time which it was it was lots of fun and then as far as kind of most challenging I think I think a lot of the the the, the challenging bits with Genesis were were the structures of the, of the songs um, whether it was a song like Firth of Fifth which is obviously from the more prog era or even a song like Domino which is often Invisible Touch like knowing the structures and and how many parts and what the cues are um that was probably the most challenging bit even like home by the sea second home by the sea which obviously is kind of a bit more of a 80s prog tune i guess um there's certain little kind of you know subtle bits that that you really need to pay attention to and i think that was kind of some of the hard some of the hardest parts were just kind of staying locked in it's one of those things where you know with like my band obviously since i i wrote the music along with the guys in the band you're a bit more, you know, at ease with the tunes, but, and, and even with my dad's stuff, like at one point it gets on cruise control, but like with Genesis as, as, as much as we could get it dialed in, I had to stay so focused the entire night right. just because you miss one thing and you're like, I have no idea where we are anymore. You know? So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all exact. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, listen, uh, this was a, a real pleasure to talk to you, man. Uh, again, this music has meant everything to me and Jeff and everybody that watches the prog report. I'm sure you know that. Um, and so thank you for, you know, being there with the band and providing the, the drums and allowing them to go on tour. It's, it really was a highlight to, uh, to see the show and, and really great talking to you and finding out about it and, uh, everything you have going on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Thank Take you. it easy. Um, every success yeah. with your band as well. And hopefully yeah, absolutely. Hope the new uh, song gets a lot of really good reaction. Oh, absolutely. Thanks so much, guys. All right, man. Thanks. Talk to you later. All the best. Take Bye. care. Bye. Thanks to Nick for the interview. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, on YouTube, and all our podcast networks, and on parkreport.com. We're going to close with the track, but I don't know your name, from Better Strangers. Thanks.